Good morning. Kira Koto, Namihi Nui Kia Koto. Tinakoi Diminita. In preparing this message, the brief was to look at an area of creation I'm, I am passionate about. In my case, the oceans and the seas. And how creation care fits into that area and into how we live out our Christian life. While that sounds simple, it's complicated by many aspects, biblical, personal, environmental, economic, as complex almost as the sea itself. The Israelites were people of the land. They were herders, farmers, merchants, priests. The sea or large bodies of water were barriers and places to fear, which were only overcome by divine help. Crossing the Red Sea, crossing the River Jordan, Jonah, the storm and the whale are all Old Testament examples. In the New Testament, those disciples who were fishermen knew its dangers. Paul was wrecked upon it. The sea imprisoned John on Patmos Island. The beast in Revelation rises from it. Jesus alone could walk on it, control it. The Gospels, with their metaphors of fishes of men, evoked the imagery of people being saved by being fished up from the sea. Water baptism is symbolic, as believers are lifted from the chaos and darkness of the water into the saving light. The biblical ocean is a fearsome place. Perhaps that's why when the new heaven and the new earth appear in Revelation 21, there is no longer any sea. The perception of New Zealanders is different. We are a different kettle of fish. In many ways, we are people of the sea. For generation, this land was settled from the sea by waka, sailing ship and steamer, long harrowing journeys, but filled with hope and promise of what lay ahead. Many families include seafarers among their forebears. Settlements originally were by the sea, close to an accessible, ample food supply. Nowhere in New Zealand is far from the sea, and land travel was difficult and expensive. Much of the commerce and travel was by sea. Holiday, not long ago, what is now the town basin, was a hub of coastal shipping. Holidays were and often are by still by the sea. The family bachelors for a long time were Kiwi tradition. Wharves, jetties and rocky outcrops, favourite fishing spots. We were protected by the sea. During two world wars it was the sea and the amount of it that kept, that kept, us, that kept us safe. Even in the last few years it's the fact that we have sea borders and none by land that help protect us. The sea gave us a unique character and language. I reflect that in my heritage and in my life. My mother's family came by waka, Tainui traditionally, and later by sailing ship, and my father's by the ship Hero to Whangarei in the 1850s, and the Royal Navy from Devon. As a child, I read of navigating by the stars, by birds and currents, and heroes such as Hotoroa, Kupe, Drake and Nelson. In a way, 
My life epitomises the changing practices and attitudes of Kiwis to the sea and of the world at large. My parents purchased a section on Waiheke Island in 1943 and built a batch and we holidayed there. My interactions with the sea were simple. We swam, fished off the rocks, collected mussels from a reef in the bay. The mussels were soon cleared out, an early warning. We rode miles in a heavy wooden dinghy, reliant on the weather, and fished with hand lines. I learned from my dad the ways of the fish, and we caught enough to eat, fresh, smoked, pickled. We replaced the oars with a two and a half horsepower seagull outboard, then a four horse, and our hand lines were replaced with nylon and sliding sinkers, then simple rods, and more sophisticated gear and bait. In the 1980s, we moved as a family to Whangarei to Tamataro. I bought a tinny, an aluminium dinghy, and I fished with locals, noting their marks. I scanned the charts. I tried to think like a fish. I was limited. I had a six-horse outboard motor, a Yamaha, and the odds were still largely on the side of the fish. Fishing was still a skill. But like all things, fishing changed with increasing speed. The few boats moored in the harbour or carried down from nearby houses were replaced by bigger boats. The roads saw procession of large boats heading out to launching sites, boats with fish finders, rocket launcher rod racks, powerful engines, a GPS to mark successful spots. The limits of weather and distance disappeared. I was taught to respect the sea, and I did. But I had two or three frightening encounters due to my own carelessness, and I risked the lives of those in my care. I was also enveloped in fog and on an ebbing tide with no anchor, and entrapped in mud to my knees in the Hokianga, the heritages of years of deforestation. I recognised the effects of the sea on others, I unknowingly saw a man drown in a yacht overwhelmed by the sea. Twice while at Tamataro, people drowned in the placid waters at our beach. The sea imposed its own limits on our catches, as did man with regulations. But increasingly I saw catches landed on our beach which didn't do that. People cleaning fish as big as my hand. And games of hide and seek played between fisheries inspectors and fishermen. For years, the sea was a convenient dumping ground. Sewage from Auckland was fed into the harbour at Oraki, and reclamation absorbed wetlands. A special barge collected rubbish from ships in Auckland and carried it into the Rokototo Channel to, wait, to waiting hordes of seagulls and sharks. The harbour here was polluted by waste from the cement works. We weren't innocent either. At Waiheke, we pushed our hedge clippings down the bank and into the sea. And at night, I secretly dumped stuff in the ocean. Before limits were set, we caught as much as we could. I fished with two lines each with two hooks in the Monaco, hauling them in as, far, hauling them in as fast as my dad could take them off and rebate. We didn't take small fish, but the bigger the better. The size often grossly exaggerated in the stories we told. 
and we contributed unwittingly to the reduction in, in breeding stock. Originally, we scaled and filleted the fish and made soup from the bones and the heads. Then we skinned the fish. Then we trimmed it and cast aside more and more until the amount we ate was only a fraction of the catch. All we did was reflected by what was happening commercially, the plunder of the sea. For centuries, mankind has shaped the land to suit his needs. Hills levelled, valleys filled in, large edifices defied the passage of time. Not so with the sea. The furrows of ships are soon smoothed. Man's structures are beaten down and submerged. On land, battlefields are preserved, signposted, relics and graves carefully maintained. At sea, nothing remains. Signs of conflict are soon washed away. Anonymous as are the graves of the dead. There's an old German seafaring hymn which says, On a sailor's tomb, no roses bloom. Countries establish economic zones to claim access to resources which ebb and flow across boundaries regardless of man's plans. But subtly that's changed. Wrecked tankers leak oil into the ocean for years. Pollutants leach from the ground, from the land. Clearing mangroves removes spawning areas for fish. The impact of global warming kills the coral. I've collected plastic bags as I've fished, but now I learn that by 2050, there'll be more plastic than fish in the ocean. And I'm horrified by the massive plastic mass afloat in the North Pacific, and aghast that with my fillet of fish, I get a free infusion of plastic mini beads. While I've always respected the sea in terms of physical danger, I've increasingly come to appreciate the part it plays in the whole dynamic of life. I knew as a child about the water cycle, and as a teacher I taught about that, but I have learned that this is a finite process in which nothing is lost or gained. I learned of the intricacies of the tides and the way they cool the, the earth, the storage of fresh water in the polar ice caps, the fact that the ocean are the lungs of the earth, absorbing carbon dioxide and providing 70% of the oxygen we breathe. That's seven breaths out of every 10 we take come via the ocean, twice as much as the rainforests. When we had cuts or grazes, or nose problems, my dad said, the cure is at your door. And we appreciated the healing properties of bathing. But only recently have I come to understand the immense medicinal potential available within the seas and the products which are commercially derived. In my youth, I assisted a commercial fisherman long lining for snapper. Hard work for poor return but now I'm confronted with the enormous economic wealth available from the sea and the way it is commercially harvested. I remember an early oyster farm, very basic compared to the massive economic entities of mussel and salmon farms of today. I learned that over 60 million people in the world are engaged in fisheries and aquaculture and 90% of the world trade is by sea. As a child, I battled the sea as it crept up on my sandcastles. But now I see the grief 
the ocean brings to shore dwellers and the islands in the Pacific. I've seen the shift in understanding from where the, whale, where the whale was viewed as so many barrels of oil or bones for corsets. But now I see it in appreciation as an intelligent beauty able to communicate. I've always appreciated the beauty of the sea and its creatures, its uniqueness, the dolphin, the dolphin flashing through the bow wave, the flamboyant colours of the gurnard and its grunting complaints at being caught. I've seen all the ocean's radiant beauty at an aquarium in Cairns and while diving on the Great Barrier Reef. I've watched a ship rise gradually across the ocean, across the horizon, reminding me that the earth is round and I've marvelled at the phosphorescence sparkling on my oars at night. But I know so little. I can name a dozen or so types of fish. Now I know there are at least 32,000 different species, and that is with only 7% of the ocean explored. We know more about the planets than about that which surrounds us, even on our own doorstep. Last week there was great excitement at the discovery of a new reef just off Wellington, so close, yet so unknown for so, now, for so long. And the enormity of the sea, 70% of the ocean's surface and 90% of the Earth's water. I know a lot about the sea. I've had many experiences. I've gained understanding of the tides and currents. But the more I know, experience and understand, the more I realise how minimal my knowledge, how limited my experience, how scant my understanding. The more I learn, the more I am in awe of the vastness, beauty and complexity of the sea. The more I am overwhelmed by the power of he who made it, he of whom I stand in awe. I see about me the effects of climate change on the environment, the economic impact, the humanitarian crisis, the scientific implications, the looming disaster which faces the world. But none of these are the reason I as a Christian care for the ocean. My motivation is backed not on facts, but on faith. God created the ocean and said it was good. He created the world as an act of love to share with humankind. He gave us stewardship over it, a responsibility from Almighty God. The psalmist writes, What is man that you are mindful of him? You made him ruler over the works of your hands, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swims, the paths of the seas. What an enormous responsibility. I don't really understand the ocean, its complexity or diversity, but I recognise it as the work of the great creator, maker of heaven and earth. In it I'm able to glimpse the creative power of our God, and I am in awe both of that magnificence and of the love with which it has been gifted to mankind. I care for it, as one of his children charged with an enormous responsibility. I care for it as an act of obedience an act of humility, an act of worship. And I echo the words of Job 42, 1-6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things 
no plans of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? But surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. E hauri te mea, no nai te aroha, no nā te puna, i tuku iho, i tuku iho, kamutu a hau. <laughs> 